Hello and welcome to COS Live. You can watch the original video broadcast live on Tuesdays at 6 p.m. Eastern. Visit conventionofstates.com slash pod to learn more. And now, here's COS Live. Well, hello, Convention of State supporters, and welcome back to another edition of COS Live. My name is Andrew Woodruff. I will be your host, and I'm joined by my co-host, Rita Peters, who is also the Senior Vice President of Legislative Affairs. Rita, how are you? I'm doing great. And Andrew, we're going to do something a little bit different with today's yeah. program, right? Yeah, we're going to be talking about ALEC, and we're going to be talking about the special uh, legislative workshop that happened there in San Diego. Um, Rita, can you tell us a little bit about ALEC for the, the viewers that are tuning in right now who've maybe never heard of it? Sure. ALEC stands for American Legislative Exchange Council, and it's an organization that consists primarily of uh legislators from states across the country who tend to be more on the conservative side. And they get together in these conferences that happen usually twice a year and mostly talk about policies, you know, policies that are being made in different states. They share ideas about maybe new approaches that they're taking to lawmaking on certain up-and-coming topics and, and pressing needs of legislatures at the time. So it's a really neat organization, and from time to time, the Convention of States team takes part in this conference. It's a great opportunity for us to meet up with legislators from a whole bunch of different states who are all in one place. And we get to educate them about Article 5, the Convention of States project, and answer their questions. Mm. Well, that sounds very fascinating. Uh, please tell the viewers what we're about to let them view. What exactly are they going to see? Sure. So this recent time when we were at the ALEC conference, we did a couple of things. First, we had Senator Rick Santorum speak to the breakfast congregation of ALEC participants. And that was really pretty much everyone who was at the conference was in the room to hear what Senator Santorum had to say. And of course, he gave a very strong endorsement for Convention of States and really challenged the legislators to get it passed in their states if they hadn't already. And then immediately following that breakfast, we had what's referred to as a workshop, which in this case was a panel discussion. And on the panel, we had Professor Rob Nadelson, who really is the nation's leading expert on all matters, Article 5. Um, he's a retired law professor, and it just doesn't get any better than that if you have questions about the Article 5 process. Then we had Mark Meckler, who is the president and co-founder of Convention of States and is, I would say, the nation's premier grassroots organizer. I mean, he's raised this army of five million plus supporters of Convention of States to get us to convention to impose limits on the federal government. And it's really inspiring to hear him talk about our grassroots and our plan for restoring the Republic. And then we had Senator Rick Santorum, who was again on the panel, and he's able to give the perspective of someone who has been in the belly of the beast and can tell us, you know, what's happening there and why 
Article 5 is really our last best hope to put Washington, D.C. back in its constitutional box. And then um, I was there too, Andrew, and my job was really to just be the moderator of the panel discussion. But the title of our workshop this year was Convention of States, Leftist Plot, or Plan to Save America, which I thought was a cute title because, you know, you hear some people say crazy things about how, you know, they think Convention of States is really a plot by George Soros or leftist organizations to destroy the Constitution. And it's really interesting. Um, if you if you watch this panel discussion, you'll hear Professor Nadelson dive into that a little bit and really explain uh, where the opposition to the use of Article 5 came from in the beginning, and it might surprise you. So let's watch that panel now. I'm Rita Peters. I'm the Senior Vice President for Legislative Affairs with the Convention of States Project. And on behalf of our entire organization, I want to thank you for spending a bit of your morning with us. I don't think you will be disappointed in the program. As some of you probably know, the Convention of States Project was founded by Mark Meckler here, along with Michael Ferris, as a grassroots organization with the goal of triggering an Article 5 convention to propose constitutional amendments on three topics. Imposing fiscal restraints on Washington, limiting the power and jurisdiction of the federal government, and setting term limits for federal officials. So far, we have passed our resolution in 15 states. We are on our way to that magic number of 34. And the interesting thing has been to see how there are these pockets of those on the right who have really aligned themselves with the left to oppose this effort to call for an Article 5 convention. In fact, some on the right have gone so far as to claim that the Convention of States project is actually a leftist plot funded by George Soros. We have heard that many, many, many times. times, and every time we are just shocked and dismayed by that. So this morning, we are going to dive into that a little bit and explore it. We're going to find out where that came from, and we're going to decide for ourselves whether it's a leftist plot or whether, in fact, it is a plan to save the nation, the very plan that the Founding Fathers gave us. So I'm going to start to introduce our panelists and let them each have a few minutes to give some opening remarks. And then following their remarks, we're going to try to reserve almost half of our time this morning for questions and answers because we generally find that is the most useful to our attendees. So you'll see on the tables in front of you, you have index cards and pens. And we would ask that you would write your questions down on those index cards and we will start to collect those after our three presenters have concluded their remarks. So I want to start by introducing Professor Rob Nadelson. He's all the way on my left here. 
Professor Nadelson is a nationally known constitutional scholar and author. He has been cited repeatedly by the U.S. Supreme Court, federal appeals courts, and state Supreme Courts, both by parties and by state and federal judges and justices. He is widely acknowledged as the country's leading active scholar on the Constitution's amendment procedure, and he's among the leaders on several other constitutional topics. Nadelson was a law professor for 25 years, serving at three different universities and actually teaching on a wide variety of constitutional topics. He has written more on Article 5 than anyone else. That is a big deal, and I think I already gave away my copy of the law of Article 5. If someone, there it is. This is the book that he wrote specifically on the law of Article 5. It's incredibly useful. If you're interested in getting one, you're welcome to see me after the workshop, and I'll make sure you get one. What's unique about Professor Nadelson, he's not just all academic. His expertise is really coupled with political experience and real-world experience in the law and in the business world. He has 11 years of experience practicing law, and he's also been a highly successful grassroots activist, running several successful statewide ballot measures. And in 2000, he came in second among five in the bipartisan Montana gubernatorial primary. So a lot of people don't know about that rich political business and legal background that Rob has. And with that, Rob, I'm going to let you kick us off. Thank you. Uh, yeah, uh, volume level okay? Just keep talking. He'll, fix, he'll, talking. he'll fix it. Okay. Rita, thank you for the introduction. Now I have to live up to it. Um, I love coming to ALEC. Uh, it was a long, there was a long time when I, I couldn't come, but I'm back. Uh, I think probably the highlight of this particular trip so far has been to learn that my good friend and Article 5 supporter, Ken Ivory, is back in the Utah legislature. Um, I only have a few minutes, so I'm going to... Um, just make an observation about the many accusations about and misunderstandings about Article 5. Um, I, I'd like you to imagine the current, the, this situation. Somebody comes to you and says, you know, representative or senator, I don't think we should have any more federal jury trials anymore. I said, you say, what do you mean? Well, in Article 3 of the U.S. Constitution, it says that trials have to be by jury. But it doesn't tell us how many people are on a jury. It doesn't tell us how juries are selected. It doesn't tell us what the margin for the vote is for acquittal or for, for uh, conviction. And it also doesn't clarify because maybe a jury could run away and take over cases other than the ones assigned to it. So I think we ought to be really careful about having federal jury trials. And you might respond to that by saying, huh? I mean, the Constitution doesn't answer those questions directly, but we have hundreds, centuries of years of, of, of 
of experience with juries in England and America. We have 200 years of court decisions dealing with juries. We know the answer to all those rules. Now, I mention this analogy because it is exactly comparable to the situation of a convention for proposing amendments, which is a kind of convention of estates. We have hundreds of years of convention experience, and we have hundreds of years of court cases on Article 5. So what's the difference between the two? The difference between the two is this. If you attend a civics course in high school, or a, if they still have them, or a political science course in college, or a history course such as Speaker Newt Gingrich used to teach, or a constitutional law course in law school, you will find that while they cover juries and they explain what juries are about, they explain that part of the Constitution, they don't talk about Article 5. The amendment process tends to be undercovered in public education with respect to um, uh, constitutional law. This is, I ran into the same problem at, at the end, or right after the uh, presidential election of 2020. I was brought in by several state legislators and asked to consult on what they should do if they thought that the the certified result for the presidential election in their state was not in fact accurate. And what I told them was that the US Constitution gives to state legislatures and state legislatures acting alone without the governor the power to dictate who the electors are, the presidential electors are, and how they're appointed, and so they could do whatever they wanted. And the biggest struggle I had was dealing with legislative council because legislative council kept telling the legislators, no, you can't do anything without the governor. No, you can't do anything contrary to the state constitution or state law. And that is an inaccurate statement of constitutional law. But the, but the lawyers and legislative council generally suffered from the same problem that a lot of commentators have on Article 5. They'd never studied the area. You know, you go to law school, you, you study the First Amendment, you study the 14th Amendment, you study how the Commerce Clause has metastasized into the all-consuming government clause, but you don't study anything about the amendment process and you don't study anything about presidential elections. But the precedents are still there. The precedents are still there. And so when people tell you things like, we don't know how the convention is composed, what that tells you is they haven't studied those precedent, precedents. Now, back in the 1960s and 70s, People on the left took advantage of this public ignorance. There were, there were movements at that time, as there are today, for, for various conservative amendments. Uh, people started talking about a balanced budget amendment. They talked about an amendment to override versus, Roe versus Wade. Fifteen states actually applied for a convention for such an amendment. And the liberal establishment was determined to stop this. And so in the 60s and 70s and early 80s, academics and liberal public opinion molders wrote a series of articles and gave congressional testimony and talked to the press about how nobody knows what a convention for proposing amendments is really about, that it could be comprised in any way, I mean, we just don't know, and that it could run away and it could do all sorts of horrible things. 
One of the most horrible things that was suggested by one liberal spokesman was it could move the capital to Topeka, Kansas. <laughs> now, I frankly don't think that's a bad idea, but that's really unlikely that a convention would do that, right? Or be empowered to do that. And so they were the, they were the source of the myths that you hear that get repeated by people on the right. In other words, let me repeat that. Almost all the talking points you hear from people on the right were invented by opinion molders on the left to stop constitutional amendments, to balance the budget, and to overturn Roe versus Wade. That's where they get their stuff. Let me give you one example. Some of you may be familiar with the lobbying efforts of Eagle Forum. Eagle Forum distributes a list of questions. They call them unanswerable questions. Nobody can answer these questions. Well, they've almost all been answered, but where do the questions came from? Answer, they came from a 1979 Law Review article written by Professor Larry Tribe of Harvard, a liberal with close ties to the Kennedy clan. Okay? That's what Eagle Forum is distributing. So that's where that stuff came from. Now, I want to address one more issue, uh, and it has to do, it's one that's been raised fairly, fairly recently in particular. It's an argument that goes like this. They're not respecting the Constitution now. What makes you think that amendments will make any difference? Amendments will make no difference. When someone makes that argument to me, it tells me something about the person making the argument. It tells me that the person has very little knowledge of American history and the impact that amendments have had on American history. Arguably about half the people in this country, a lot of people in this room, could not vote today without a constitutional amendment. Without constitutional amendments, we would not have the Bill of Rights. And by the way, the Bill of Rights were passed because the states threatened to hold an Article V convention. The states would still be able to institute slavery or oppress racial minorities if it were not for constitutional amendments. And presidents of the United States could run for re-election over and over and over again until they died in office, as Franklin Roosevelt did, if it were not for constitutional amendments. Here's the fact. Constitutional amendments have made enormous impact on American history. They continue to do it. Where would we be without the First Amendment or the Second Amendment or any of the other amendments I've cited? They, in fact, are respected more, fortunately or unfortunately, than the original Constitution. Amendments work. They are one of the most powerful reform tools that Americans have for recalibrating their system when they see problems. I'm going to stop there. Be happy to take any questions after my fellow panelists have spoken. Thank you. Thank you so much, Rob. Next, we will hear from Senator Rick Santorum, who served his country and the people of Pennsylvania 
in the U.S. House for four years and in the U.S. Senate for 12 years. He was well known in Washington for his unwavering commitment to limited government, fiscal responsibility, and the rights of the unborn. He spearheaded a nearly successful bid to propose a balanced budget amendment, exposed congressional banking and post office scandals, and worked to help Americans to get off the welfare rolls. After leaving Congress, he was a candidate for the Republican nomination for president in 2012, when he won 11 states and nearly 4 million votes. And he and his wife, Karen, are parents to eight children. Senator Santorum is now a senior advisor to the Convention of States Project. And you probably knew most of that already about him, but here's something you might not know. Rick Santorum is a gentleman farmer. He grows fruit trees and berries. He makes his own jam to give for gifts. And he is a beekeeper. Who knew? There you go. <laughs> That's a honey of an introduction. There you go. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, Rob uh, took well over his time, so I'm going to shorten my remarks. Um, <laughs> And because his is more important for you to hear than, than, than what I had here, and you, you, many of you just heard me uh, talk a few minutes ago. Um, you know, it's, uh, let me just tell you, I, I think I alluded to the fact that I was not a supporter of, of, of Convention of the States for a long time. And that's because uh, way back when, uh, when I was running for president, um, a woman named Phyllis Schlafly came and talked to me, and she was in, in well into her 90s at the time, and she wanted to talk to me. This was important about this convention of the states, and so she sat down and she laid this all out, and Phyllis and I were very close. We were very good friends. We worked together on many issues, and, and so I sort of stepped aside, and uh, I also happened to be a very close friend of Mark Levin's, and at one, you know, we used to have breakfast together on a fairly regular basis, and I sat down and, and told him about that, and of course, Mark, as low-key and as mild-mannered as Mark Levin is, uh, you know, erupted on me in the in the Bob Evans and uh, where we were sitting having breakfast, and sort of ripped me up one down and down the other. And so I said, "Okay, well, I'm 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 avowedly neutral. I have friends on this side and friends on that side, and so I'm for my friends." And um, and so I, uh, I I sort of stayed away from uh, from the issue, and so. Uh, until uh, this, really, this past summer, and uh, once, uh, as I mentioned before, and uh, you know, Mark brought it up to my attention, and I, I was, you know, hesitant because I hadn't really studied the issues. Most important thing, and that's why I really, you need to hear from Rob and, and Mark less from me, because uh, they they know this issue inside and out, and you need to. I mean, I always say, as a legislator, the most powerful thing you have is information, and you make a lot of bad decisions because you get bad information, not because you're bad people, because you 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 have bad judgment. It's usually because you have bad information. And, you know, like I was talking about Newt. I mean, Newt's, I trust Newt's judgment. Newt's a good man. He's, it, but, you know, he has bad information. And, and it's possible because, as, as Rob said, there's a lot of bad information out there. You know, he mentioned that it come from Lawrence Tribe. Well, the other place that Phyllis got her stuff from was from Justice Warren Berger. Justice Warren Berger. Do you know who Justice Warren Berger is? He was the chief justice during Roe versus Wade and was the sixth vote. That's, that's who we're now relying on to, to tell us what an Article 5 convention looks like? A Supreme Court justice that doesn't, doesn't want to have his power limited to, to reform the Constitution, which they've been doing now for the past 50 or 60 years, basically just blowing a hole through the Constitution? Yeah, Congress ignores the Constitution, but you know what they don't ignore? They don't ignore the amendments. If you look at it, where they ignore is they ignore the body of the Constitution. 
But when the amendments are passed, that, well, you hear people talk about the 10th Amendment, talk about the 14th Amendment, talk about that. You hear all these amendments, they talk about and they stand by them. But the Commerce Clause, oh, you can, yeah, we can, yeah, those founders got that wrong. Look, we're a society that thinks all great thought happened when they were alive. That, you know, the Greeks, ah, oh, they were idiots. You know, they, you know, they didn't know what they were talking about. We're the smart people, right? So think about the power of a constitutional amendment passed today. Even with those who may not necessarily agree with us, they, they, it has weight. So don't buy this argument that, that's, that, that, that somehow or another constitutional amendments are not impactful. They are huge. They are transformational. And, and that's what we need. We need, we need a time in our country right now. We, we are at a point where we need something transformational to happen. And that's why as I studied this and I actually read this book, it is a, you know, Rob, it's not, you know, it's not the most great prose, don't not, no offense. It's a legal treatise. It's a treatise, but it, thankfully it's not insufferably long. Um, and so, but it, just, it, actually just reading the, the first half of the book, you get both basically the feel of it. And, and I think you just get, get comfortable with it, particularly those of you who are advocates, I know there's some here. Um, when I was an advocate, I had to know more than everybody. I had to anticipate every question. And so, you know, if you're gonna do this important work, and it is important, as I said next door, I don't think there's anything more important you can be doing in the, in the legislature. Everything else you're doing, everything else that you're doing affects your state. This affects the nation and frankly the world. And so you wanna, and I know many of you think I'll run for Congress someday, I'll run for Senate someday. This is bigger than anything. It's bigger than anything you'll do. This is the most important thing you're gonna do as a legislator. Think about that. Think about a, a, a convention of the states that fundamentally restores federalism to this country and, and power to people and individual rights and liberty. And you can do that as a state legislator. Man, wow. Wow. What an opportunity. So that's really what I want to leave with you is that you don't get very much of a chance. And it's within our grasp. I mean, 31 states. And the problems we have, by and large, are folks on the right. It's the folks on the right, Phyllis's group and others who, you know, don't trust. You know, they're just afraid. I mean, I get it. I mean, a lot of bad things have happened in this country for, in their lifetime, and they're afraid of, I hate to say it, us. They're afraid of, of what this world today will do to something they love. I get it. Boy, do I get it. But it's happening. It's not like, things are gonna get better on their own. It's happening. And at some point, we have to take a leap of faith. And I think what Rob, and the reason I'm gonna stop here, is, and you should talk to Rob and Mark, is that it's not that big of a leap of faith. There really is well-structured to make sure that we can keep this on the guide rails. And remember, in the end, the greatest fail-safe of this, of this process is you need 38 states to ratify a constitutional amendment. I mean, no crazy amendment's gonna come out of that convention that's gonna get 38 states that's gonna harm this country. It just won't happen. So, I, and the, the other thing is, you folks are the ones that are gonna be appointing the delegates. And you're gonna have, at the time, 34 states. I mean, it's, it's, it's the time. It's the time. And it's your moment to do something great for America. For forever. Not just for your lifetime, but forever. Thank you, Rick.
Before I go to Mark, I want to just remind you that you do have those note cards on your table, so be thinking about what you would like to ask our experts and write your questions down, and then we will have someone collect those cards. Mark Meckler, as you know, is the president of Convention of States Action, which now has over five million supporters and activists representing every single state legislative district in the nation. Mark appears regularly on TV, radio, and online discussing the conservative grassroots perspective on political issues. Before Convention of States, Mark was the co-founder of Tea Party Patriots. He left that organization in 2012 to implement this constitutional solution to take power from DC and return it to the sovereign citizens of the states. Mark has a BA from San Diego State University right here in town and a law degree from University of the Pacific. He practiced law for two decades. I know he doesn't look that old, but <laughs> two decades. From February 2021 to May 2021, Mark served as the interim CEO at Parler to help bring the free speech social media company back online and equip it for a strong future. Mark and his wife, Patty, Patty is back here. Say hi, Patty. She is here. <laughs> Mark and Patty have been married more than 27 years with one son who just completed his service with the Marine Corps and is now a third-year third law student, and a daughter who recently graduated from Hillsdale College and works in education policy reform. And I'm going to give you two things that you might not know uh -oh. about Mark. He's uh -oh. getting nervous. <laughs> the first one is that his background on his tablet is a picture of his Great Dane, the face of his Great Dane, it's, it's really cute. And the second one is that recently in a trip to the Pennsylvania State Capitol, after having his luggage lost in an airline snafu, Mark showed up and did legislative meetings and a committee presentation in Pennsylvania wearing a Hell No Joe t-shirt <laughs> with a picture of a large, AR. <laughs> an AR. <laughs> Mark? <laughs> well, I'm dressed more appropriately today. We'll start with that. At least Rita was there with me looking appropriate. Uh, look, uh, we, you've heard from somebody who's an absolute expert on Article 5. I would say the expert in the country on Article 5. Uh, you've heard from somebody who's been at the pinnacles of the American system of governance, who's been in Washington, D.C., and seen the good, the bad, and the ugly. So I think these are people who are actually far more expert than I am at any of this, at the problems that our country faces, and also at the solution, the, the technical solution, the Article 5 solution given to us by the founders. I'm not an expert in a lot, but I am an expert at grassroots politics. And I've been engaged in grassroots politics now since 2009. I can't even count the amount of miles that I put on my body all across the country. I do about 200, 250,000 miles a year on the airlines. And I've been in 48 states in the last few years. I've been in 16 states just in the last 90 days. And what I can tell you, one, is that the American people are pissed off. They're angry with what they see going on in Washington, D.C. They feel disempowered, they feel disenfranchised, and they don't know what to do. In a lot of corners of this country, they lack hope. I don't lack hope. 
And the reason I don't is because I actually know all of them. Because I have this strange opportunity, this privilege, this blessing to travel all over the country and meet these people in Manhattan, in Los Angeles, in San Francisco, in places where you wouldn't think you would meet so many liberty-loving people. It doesn't matter where I go. It doesn't matter the state. It can be Kansas, Oklahoma, Rhode Island, Delaware. I meet liberty-loving grassroots people all across the country, and I meet people who are willing to be in the fight, who are willing to commit themselves. If you're at the breakfast, you saw hundreds of pictures go by of grassroots activists all over the country. We're playing them in here. This is going on, the pictures you saw, that's not from some unusual event. Those events, I'm not exaggerating when I say this, are taking place every single day in the United States of America. There are convention of states, picnics, lunches, parades, meetings in the legislature, people going to gun shows every single day. We have a channel in our team where these photos show up and every day there are new photos from events around the country. We literally have tens of thousands of these photos and thousands of hours of video footage. And I tell you that because I want you to have the same hope that I have because I know these people are out there and I know that they're in the fight. And they're in the fight because what they know is what Rick said, which is Washington, D.C. will never reform itself. I'm gonna repeat that, it will never reform itself. Not under Donald Trump, not under Ronald Reagan. Right, so we've had two turns here, I would say, in modern American history for conservatism to reform Washington, D.C. And this isn't to say we shouldn't send the best people we possibly can to D.C. We always should. We should elect the best people to the state legislatures, the best people to D.C., but to expect them to fix themselves is a fool's errand, and the American people know this. You know, when I travel around, one of the things that I get to do is I get to meet these extraordinary people, and I meet them in mass, and I meet them individually. Now this year, this summer, I was at the Kentucky State Fair. It was a real, first time for me, huge state fair, really incredible experience. So I went to the state fair because the state legislature actually holds interim hearings at the state fair. I've never seen anything like this, an awesome idea. Because there's so many of their citizens come in for the state fair, they hold these hearings, people actually get to come in and see how government works. And so there was a hearing on convention of states. This is the middle of the week, literally I think it was a Wednesday. It's the middle of the day and people had to pay to get in. Not to get into the hearing, but pay to get into the state fair if they wanted to go to one of these hearings. And so I went into this hearing not knowing what to expect, never done one of these things at a state fair. It was in a room bigger than this, and we had probably show up at the hearing in Convention of States t-shirts somewhere between 150 and 200 activists. It was absolutely astounding. It took my breath away. You looked out in the audience like this, and what you saw was nothing but Convention of States t-shirts. I went into several of the other hearing rooms, a couple of people here and there at, in these hearing rooms, but you had a packed hearing room of activists who paid to get in to go watch a legislative hearing about Convention of States. It's incredible. These people are rising up because they have hope. They believe we can actually do something. To be blunt, they believe we can get our hands around the throat of the federal government and shove it back in the constitutional box. And that's what motivates them. So I see that in mass everywhere I go. I see it individually too. I'm gonna tell you a story, it's a little bit hard to tell. We had an activist whose name is Tara. She's from North Carolina. I met her many times. She was at every single event that I ever went to in North Carolina. She would be there no matter what. She was, if it was legislature, if it was anything, if it was block walking, Tara would show up. And we started doing block walking, which we do on an organized basis all over the country right now. 
Tara stepped up and she became our block walking captain. She was in charge of organizing all block walking in the state of North Carolina. Volunteer, I don't know how much time she was putting in, 40 hours a week probably, at least on a volunteer basis. Uh, Tara came down with COVID this year and she was in the hospital and she was very ill and she was worried about her country while she was in the hospital. Not about herself, not about her health. She was so worried about her country and what she was going to leave behind and, and the job that she was not going to be able to do that she actually made a call from her hospital room to appoint somebody to take over for her before she passed. This is what I see around this country when I travel. I see people that are this dedicated to this cause. It's not because of me or Rick or Rob or Rita. It's because these people know that the country is at stake. America was founded by people like Tara. Literally, regular people, not famous people, not necessarily wealthy or powerful people, but by regular people who realized that the principle of liberty was at stake. The idea of freedom was at stake in the American Revolution. And people like Tara and those hundreds of people I met in Kentucky and the thousands and tens of thousands I meet all over the country have always stood up when America was at risk. I would add that there were always people who were scared to stand up too and who didn't stand up. That's fine because the people who stood up saved the country despite the people who weren't willing to stand. Your grassroots are involved in this, but they're also involved in so much more. They understand that elections are important. Convention of states in one way or another, according to the legal constraints in each state, participated in over 250 elections around the country during the last cycle. Absolutely incredible. In some cases, directly being engaged in the elections where the law allowed it. A lot of them did that on their own where we as an organization couldn't be involved. There were get out the vote activities all over the country and we expect and plan that in the 2022 cycle, we'll be involved in over 400 elections around the country. So you're going to see them in your states, involved in your state legislative elections in one way or another all over the country. It's not enough, they understand it's not enough. The Convention of States is important, it's the most important thing that you can do, I agree with Rick, but it's not enough. We have to elect good people as well. You know, in some states we've already passed, I read to talk about 15 states we've already passed, and you might think, well, what do they do after they already pass the resolution? Well, the answer is they get involved in everything else, anything they're passionate about. They're involved in pro-life stuff, they're involved in pro-Second Amendment stuff, they're involved in property tax reform, they're involved in ballot reform and election integrity issues all over the country because we have trained them up how to be effective advocates within our political system. COS gives people hope. Without hope, we have nothing. They look at Washington, D.C., they have no hope. You literally are their hope. If you do this, if you raise the flag and say, I'm gonna be the one, I'm gonna be the champion, I'm willing to be the person that travels the state to talk about this. I'm the person that's going to read the Article 5 book. I'm the one that's going to take the arrows of the people who oppose. If you do that, they will follow you. And they will love you. And they will work for you. And they will work on other stuff, too, for you, the other things that you're passionate about. It's time for us to fix the country. And we have the opportunity to do so. And the only question is, will we have the courage?
This has been the podcast version of COS Live. Check out more content at conventionofstates.com slash pod. Thank you for listening.